Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. So in December 2023, the Schroders UK Financial Advice Survey found 63% of advisors were concerned that their businesses could lose assets as wealth transfers between generations. Similarly, the Scottish Widows Investment Confidence Barometer, published in November last year, also revealed that 57% of advisors expect to retain services for a minority of their clients' dependents on the death of the client, with 70% of advisors citing the scepticism of younger generation towards the value of financial advice as the greatest barrier to dealing with clients' dependents. Both pieces of research have highlighted a growing concern among advisors about the great wealth transfer, and it begs the question, can the advice industry do more to engage with younger generations, and if so, what is being done about it? I'm Alina Khan, Senior Reporter for FT Advisor, and I'm joined today by Gillian Hepburn, Commercial Director at Benchmark, who took up this new role in autumn last year. Hepburn has been instrumental in creating biannual surveys for Schroders on the great wealth transfer. And I'm also joined by Ben Barrett, Managing Director at First Sentinel Wealth, who in addition to his day job sits on two exam boards with the Chartered Institute of Securities and Investments. Hello both. Hello. Hi. Um, So Ben, I'm going to start with you. As an advisor yourself, what's been your experience with wealth transfer? Have you come up against any barriers or have you heard of other advisors in the community who have... Well, I think that at the moment it's probably yet to really take hold because the general demographic of boomers, you know, they're still here, they're still alive. So, you know, what we're going to see is a massive shift in how people want to really interact with their finances. So at the moment, I think you've got a generation of advisors, sort of 57, 58 years old is probably the average. And I don't think that they're truly prepared for the shift that's going to happen. And uh, adopting technology and being a bit more nimble in your approach, I think is going to be vital to ensuring that you maintain those family relationships and create that sort of financial family ecosystem. And based on what Ben said about people not being, advisors not being prepared yet, why do you think wealth transfer is such an important topic to be talking about at this moment in time based on what Ben said? Yeah, so we we know, we've heard all the stats, haven't we, about you know, 5.5 of assets passing across the generations in the next 30 years. And I think the 30 years point is a, a challenge up front because people think, well, I might not be in the industry in 30 years time. So I'll just focus on doing what I'm doing at the moment because it's serving my business very well. Um, so I, I think we have a challenge there in terms of advisors, the, just the whole mindset here in terms of I have significant numbers of wealthy clients. And, and thanks for highlighting the survey, because one of the things we always look at is the average age of the client bank, which is continuing to increase. And we look at the number of advisors prepared to work with clients with less than £50,000 to invest. So you could argue that next generation And that's reached an all-time low of only 25% of advisors. So we have this disconnect, don't we, in terms of um, advisors concerned about losing wealth, but actually we don't really see the numbers stacking up in terms of whether or not they're approaching this. And I I sometimes think we confuse the two in terms of wealth, wealth transfer is not just about putting IHT plans in place. That's part of it, but it's about engaging the wider family. And I think... The challenge around that is advisors often say to me, well, I don't have a proposition and I won't make any profit from it. Yeah, and I I get that, but it's actually, it's about retaining these assets. 
And sometimes it's just very simply starting to make the connections with that next generation. It's not necessarily about giving them advice, although to Ben's point, I do think there are lots of opportunities now, particularly with the rise of technology, AI, for example. Can we deliver lighter touch, lower cost propositions just to engage with that next generation and to keep them within the within the family and within the business? Yeah, definitely. I think for someone, you know, I'm 22 and and Mm. for me, financial advice is something that, you know, I didn't know I needed. It's not really something that's spoken about. So unless you've got an advisor maybe in your family that your family's used for a long time, you wouldn't necessarily know that it's something that you need in order to build yourself up for, for later in life. But Ben, in terms of the clients that you have, are you seeing, you know, Uh, spouses, children being a bit more engaging or do you feel that you have to be the one to sort of take that first step to get them speaking about their finances more? I I think it's a bit of both. I think it's about sort of creating an environment that that allows for that. So, for example, you know, we've recently brought out an app and that allows access, you know, certain view-only access for children. So within that sort of financial ecosystem that we're creating, there is an in-case-of-emergency document. So that's all stored in the cloud that allows them to easily access important folders, you know, if the worst were to happen. And equally, I think people are becoming more engaged in terms of wanting to share that information with their children. But at the same time, you know, really, I think it depends on the individual family that you're dealing with and, you know, how comfortable they are with sharing that information with their children, you know. And from my perspective, in my experience, what I found is even being a financial advisor or in the financial space, my parents still haven't got to the point really where they've been fully transparent with everything about their finances. I think that's a, a very common situation. You know, they're in their 60s. They're part of that boomer generation. And even for them, you know, it's been a, you know, a, a challenging area to discuss. I think there's a bit of a taboo about you know, how you pass these assets from one generation to another. And, you know, as I said, I think adopting technology is going to be vital for, for assisting with that wealth transfer. And Gillian, do you feel that just in general, as as a nation, do you feel like, are we talking about finances enough within families, not just in terms of seeking advice, but just in general? Because, yeah, as Ben says, sometimes within certain cultures, talking about money is a taboo. And do you think that is maybe preventing people from being able to, to seek that advice? Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. And, and money for many people is a taboo. We don't want to talk about it with our children, potentially. But I think what I've learned from you know great financial advisors that I work with that are really on this is... Let's talk about the process and not about the actual amount. So let's talk about the fact that there is a will in place. Let's talk about the fact that that some of you in the family as children um, are likely to be a power of attorney. So what does that actually mean? And so I think there's different ways of engaging the wider family without talking about how much money is sitting there to pass to the next generation. And similarly with that next generation, I, I do think that they are more engaged in their finances than many of us think. Um, you know, we we have people struggling to get on the property ladder, for example. So, you know, how can we talk to that next generation about, about renting or about uh, protection, uh, about their pension? You know, what is it? I know that's a... I always laugh because it sounds a dreadful word to be speaking to young 20-year-olds and I've experienced that with my own kids. And I don't want to talk about that. It's for old people. Let's change our language. 
What a pension is, is just your future income. So, you know, we can start to have early conversations about what that might look like. Um, So I think there's a way for advisors to engage with that next generation without always thinking about about them in the context of their investing. Because we know young people are having a challenging time. You know, we have a cost of living crisis. As I mentioned, the property ladder, you know, average student debt, I think, runs around £45,000. So we maybe need to think differently about how we engage and how we can support that next generation. And obviously, you've mentioned a lot of things there that are affecting the younger generation and, and will impact them in later life. In terms of the impacts, long term impacts of wealth transfer, what are those impacts going to be on both clients and, and um, dependents, Ben? Well, I think, I mean, first of all, clearly there's going to be a taxation issue um, because passing those assets from one generation to another in the UK, we have IHT, that's going to be a challenge. And, and, and again, I think that people aren't quite prepared for that. Um, but I think perhaps the issue is, is more from an advisory perspective. Again, you know, from a, a commercial standpoint, how do we retain the value within the business? And I think that you know, the stats say 80 to 90% of you know, heirs expect to change advisor within that kind of, you know, life cycle. And again, you know, I, I know we keep banging on about technology, but that's going to be a key factor in retaining those clients. And I think you know, a point that was made earlier in relation to, you know, uh, not dealing with clients that have more than £50,000, for example. Well, how do you create a solution that actually, uh, you know, allows you as a business to create a commercially viable solutions that you can start to bring those people in to the you know to to, to your advisory process and from our perspective at first sentinel wealth one of the things that we've been doing is running you know out a, a hybrid advice service so with the intention of saying right well how do we streamline a service so that people still have access to advice there's not that advice gap for the younger generation but equally so that it doesn't cost us too much time as a business that it makes it totally unviable for us to do and it's, it's kind of looking at how you marry those two together so you can start to to focus on that that generation and i think you know, even in the advice space in general you know there's a massive opportunity within the marketplace of smaller value you know individuals that need advice and you know, I've I've spoken to a lot of people, you know, in their twenties and thirties who've got, you know, various stocks and shares apps, and they'll have, you know, five individual equities as, as their investment. And you know, the reality is that you know, the whole time that I've been working in this industry, I've never never come across anyone where I've sat there and said, right, the solution for you is to put all of your money into five individual stocks and shares. So, you know, I think that. Yes, there is a lot more availability of information that people have access to in terms of, you know, how should I invest my money? But equally, there's also a lot of noise within that information that people are getting distracted by. And, you know, a shiny, glossy Robin Hood app or, you know, some, some information that, you know, perhaps seems exciting can often be quite misleading for these people. So, you know, a lot of it is about an educational process and how do you bring people into that conversation? Yeah, I think financial education is such a big topic that, you know, is always being discussed and specifically now with, you know, a general election on the horizon, you know, both parties, main parties are trying to build manifestos looking at 
the importance of financial education because I think that will definitely go towards bridging bridging the advice gap that we have here in the country. But um, aside from technology being a factor that can kind of bridge that gap, Gillian, what other ways do you think that that gap can start to be bridged, whether that be from, a, you know, the, ch- the children's perspective, what can they maybe do? Or from the advisor's p- perspective, what can they do? Yeah, um, I think there's a number of things here. I, I completely agree with the education piece. It's back to that. What is the role of an advisor within a family? And obviously it, it at Benchmark, we work with significant number of, of financial planners. So what are they doing and, and what are some of the things that, you know, what does good practice look like? And I think there's this whole piece as well around the rise of coaching in, in, in addition to education. So how can we just help have that conversation? Because I think what's very interesting is that when that next generation inherit wealth, The research tells us time and time again that they want to get advice. Many of them actually feel a bit overwhelmed at the thought of taking on their parents' finances. And and some of them, based on, you know, the rise of vulnerable clients, might do it while their parents are still around. So it's not just at that point of, you know, a complete transfer. So I I think there's a huge amount we can do in terms of educating. And we're seeing different business models emerge as well in terms of how do we charge for that then? Is it on a fixed fee basis? Do we charge at family levels? I'm seeing a rise in that where if a younger a member of the younger generation needs, for example, some mortgage support, then do we just do that piece of advice for free? Because actually we're, we're, we're advising the wider family. So that sort of total kind of cost and charges is a really interesting debate. Um, subscription uh, as well is coming into play. So I think it's about being a bit creative in terms of how we engage that broader family taking account of the next generation who are actually saying to us, you know, we, 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 we do need help and support and, and we will need that. Um, I, I, how, do we, how do we start to factor that in as early as possible? But I, I think also one of the things that we cannot forget is this whole interim transfer to these female clients, so the spouses. Um, you know, the research is showing, has done for some time, that 60% of the wealth by next year will be in female hands in the UK, largely as a result of, result of this lateral transfer of wealth across the baby boomer generation. And we did some research quite recently that showed that only 34% of these um, widows would remain with a family advisor. So um, so I think there's a step in between that next generation that absolutely needs to be considered. Um, and it's really interesting because advisors often say to me, well, is, is a solution to retaining these widows who, to be fair, me did the research, felt disengaged, not on the same wavelength, the conversation wasn't on their agenda. So is the answer to this just to put a female advisor in the business? Um, and, and fortunately, that's not the only solution because um, there are only about 16% of the total advice uh, community are, are, are women. So it would be a challenge if that was the answer. But 70, I think 73 or 74% of women that we spoke to said, I, I don't really care. I don't care what gender my advisor is as long as they understand me. It's back to, you know, trust I, and and I get and I get value for money. So I think we have to be mindful of that interim step as well, and think about or rethink some of the business models. And in terms of for you, obviously being an advisor yourself, Ben, when you are in, engaging with those with those female clients, widows, do you, have you adopted a different approach as as Gillian has spoken about, or are there certain things that you do think about um, when speaking to female clients? Because understandably. 
you can't use the same template because obviously women have different needs and have different lifestyles compared to men um, for a number of reasons, including, you know, they take time off work um, after after childbirth, look after their children. Menopause has caused many women to have to take time out of the workforce. So those kinds of factors mean that women, you know, have got different needs and, and, and wants from their wealth. And so for you, have you seen yourself changing that approach to women or if not, w- would you and how? Well, I think the approach is always to ask good questions. So, you know, it's very much about developing the soft skills of yourself, the advisors that work within the business and and truly trying to understand that client's needs, because it's not just about, you know, men and women, you know, there's obviously a a wide variety of different kinds of people that, you know, want different things from the advice they're receiving, have very different lifestyles. So I think it's very much about trying to really understand the problems for that individual and how you can help solve them and and, you know we always say to our clients we view ourselves as as problem solvers and I think you know from our perspective being an independent advisory firm it allows us to be a bit more nimble in our approach so we can you know work as best we can to understand that individual client's requirements and then find the best possible solution for them rather than pigeonholing them into you know a particular process or particular product Um, and I think that that you know that that's one of the you know the the big benefits of, of of being independent from from our perspective yeah i do think that personalization of advice is is something that personally if i was to receive would would definitely make me more engaged and would make me t- want to talk to to an advisor more because as you say they they're taking in my requirements and then building a plan um, surrounding that and hopefully with you know the introduction of consumer duty that that's part of that due diligence um point but sort of circling into to regulation you know the fca announced its advice boundary review aimed at giving more people access to advice where does everything we've discussed today fit into that and will the fca's proposals go some way in in helping to 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 bridge that gap when it comes to engaging with the younger generation you know uh, preventing advisors from losing assets through wealth transfers, Gillian. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. I think we're still in early days of that in terms of what the the end game will look like. Um, I probably don't see um, huge demand in terms of advisors looking at this. I think we're still wedded to that. Um, according to our research, that that older, more wealthy generation. Um, so I think. I think there are a number of factors that will need to be put into place to, to change where we are. If you look at the number of advisors who say that they have a strategy for engaging and retaining young people, it's very, very low. Um, you know, it's only about 15, 16 percent. So I think, you know, there's I think this could be one of the solutions, but I think we need to embrace not just looking at some of the regulation, but actually the real willingness to engage with next generation. And um, and I always talk about why do why do young people press the crypto button and not the multi-asset button, if that makes sense. So I, I think we've still got a lot more to do in terms of that whole education piece. Um, you know, the advice guidance boundaries only come into play when somebody actually engages with a young person. Yeah. So and and for me that's the second stage, isn't it? It's it's encouraging some form of engagement, and I think that's where what I see the most. I, I think we still have some challenges there. And Ben, from your perspective, um, 
what yeah what challenges do you think that there are um or how are we gonna get more younger people engaging because as Gillian say that's sort of the first step before we even look at the advice boundary um that is we need to get more people even seeking advice before we can even look at bridging that gap well I think you know a, a good marketing strategy is is clearly going to be important um you know I mean Gillian you talk about um the Bitcoin button versus yeah. multi-asset. And to an extent, you know, that that is marketing. You know, people don't see, you know, an exciting advert or exciting stories about, you know, your 60-40 portfolio. But they do see, you know, <clears throat> a lot of news and, and information about Bitcoin. And, you know, if you're getting eyes on the screen, understanding that and, and seeing that... Um, then clearly it's going to arouse some interest in people. So I, I certainly think the communication factor, um, but also I think that the, you know, the current demographic of, of advisors, I think, you know, it's no secret that they're, you know, uh, fairly old and, and towards the end of, of, of their careers. Um, and the old school, I suppose, way of managing finances was really, you know, you're an investment advisor first and a financial advisor second. And I think that, again, there's been a big shift in that. So how do you make financial planning exciting? Because, you know, we're not really talking so much anymore about the investment side of things. You know, it's very homogenous in its approach. 60-40 portfolio for a balanced, 80-40 portfolio for a sort of medium high risk, or sorry, 80-20 for a medium high risk. And it's about, you know, how do you bring a lot of those ideas now to life for people. So again, I think it comes back to that question of once you get your foot in the door with the families and the younger generation, those soft skills and having you know a, a good way of asking them questions to understand what it is that these people want. Because again, young people want to interact with their finances differently to how older people want to interact with their, their finances. And it might even be something as simple as using a nice shiny cash flow model rather than a spreadsheet, right? You know, if you go back probably 15 years ago, if you wanted to do some cash flow modeling or sort of budgeting for someone, you would get, you know, Excel out and you'd run through, this is what we're looking at. There'd be a few kind of rubbish graphs on there. And okay, that that served a purpose and that was that was kind of all that existed at the time. Again, now there's more tools at our disposal. Uh, you know, it might sound silly, but being a bit more colourful and a bit more illustrative in, in helping people kind of realise what they're trying to achieve and, and how they can get there. I think that a lot of the time I come out of meetings and, and clients have said to me, you know, I'm quite excited about this now because all of a sudden they're sort of bringing an idea to life. They're putting you know, it on a, on, a, on a piece of paper and understanding what it might mean for them. But I think there's also other ways of engaging young people. You mentioned marketing there. Um, you know, if you think about sustainability, for example, um, we we can have some great conversations about this that that, mm -hmm. that really engage people. You know, for example, down in our campus in Horsham, we're building a solar farm. It's it's incredible. Um, we'll be able to power the building, and you know, 300 homes in the Horsham area going onto the grid. Now, when you start to talk about uh, things like that to young people, it gets them quite interested and excited thinking I don't, I don't really understand that investment mm. could do could do good in this sort of way and I, and I think therefore we have to back to your point on market we have to 
we have to be um, really thoughtful in terms of how we engage with these young people and what's important to them and then how can we bring that to life. But I do think there's definitely creative ways of doing this um, without just talking about you know, in investment in a sense that they would imagine. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, I, and I think that's a great point. You know, clearly the younger generation are much more interested in where their money's going and the sort of ESG sustainability factor. And again, creating a solution that actually does what it says on the tin rather than just sits there as a, you know, a facade of, of greenwashing is also important because, again, as you said, bringing those ideas to life. Well, you know, if you invest £10,000 into, you know, this specific strategy, you're going to save, you know, 5,000 tonnes of methane or whatever it might be, you know, again, allows people to really feel that they're making an impact with their money as well as being financially prudent. Yeah, you're right. And a lot of the reporting that we do now in the sustainable space does that. It looks at for every £100 you invest, this is the this is the, the pure impact that it can, that, you know, that will be resulting. And I think that sort of engagement is interesting. Um, but I, I do think it just starts actually quite simply with let's all get round the table and mm-hmm. talk about the finances because it's back to your original point um, that it, it can be a bit taboo. Yeah, We just don't like talking about money, do we? Um, and I think the, the more that we do, the, the easier it will become. Yeah, I think that is definitely when you when you sort of grind it down to its simplest form is getting people to understand, like you said earlier, Gillian, that a pension in its simplest form is an investment and it's getting the younger generation to just understand that once they start understanding the simpler things, that's when they can start to to really understand how by seeking advice, by creating a financial plan personalised to you and your needs can have, you know, positive impacts on on society. Yeah. But I think sometimes it's just our language, isn't it? Back to the, the pension word, not not a great word if you're a young person, right? But but also, you know, you can almost talk about it in the sense of, um, as I try to do with my son, you know, you can get some you can get some free money here. You know, you you pay a pension contribution, and the government. Let's not talk about tax relief because that sounds a bit scary. <laughs> you get a little bonus, right, for saving. Thank you. And then, you know, if your employer is giving you a matching scheme, then suddenly you look at what you're actually paying into a pension to what's actually being put away for you. Let's not even talk about investing. What has been put away for your future income? So I, th- I think we can just be a bit more creative in how we describe what we do. Great. Well, thank you both very much for joining me today. Um, we've had some great conversations and thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers.